We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what is up you crazy packer people welcome into an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl you can follow the podcast at pack a day podcast you guys are the absolute best for being here All right, today I've got a fun, easy, breezy episode for you guys, but I'm really excited about it, and I want to talk about some of the players that I think are a little bit under the radar, maybe not getting talked about as much. We're all, of course, in the camp of looking at the players who the Green Bay needs to resign, players they should sign in free agency. Of course, we're already digging into draft stuff. We're in that mode, but there are some players currently on this roster that I don't think are getting talked about very much that I think have the ability to... I don't know if I want to say like make this huge impact, but maybe my bigger overarching take here is they should not be forgotten about. And there's a variety of different levels to the players that are on this list. Some of them you're going to say, well, yeah, they're not exactly under the radar. I'll explain myself on those. Um, Other ones you're going to be like, yeah, I kind of forgot about that guy. So there's nine players total on the list. One special teamer, few on defense. Most of them are on offense, but let's jump in and talk about them right away. And I want to start with number one on my list who is deserving to be number one on this list and that is Bo Melton. And I get it. First of all, he's not exactly forgotten. He came in and really came on at the end of this past season. Everyone remembers he had a touchdown catch against the 49ers in the final game. Nobody has forgotten about Bo Melton and what he was able to do at the end of this past year. But what I really want to stake my claim on here and why I think he's maybe undervalued or under the radar is I do not believe that Bo Melton is this, oh, fun, cheeky, end of season practice squad story. And, you know, that was a really fun flash in the pan, but we're not really going to hear from Bo Melton again. I believe that Bo Melton is a legit, legit wide receiver and starting caliber wide receiver. Now, what opportunities he gets will remain to be seen because this is a team that already has Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Malik Heath will factor into that conversation. But Bo Melton, to me, is a starting caliber wide receiver. Now, I know there's some small sample size stuff that has to be baked into this. Remember, he first basically got called up against uh, Tampa Bay in that home game. If you guys remember, as soon as that game was done and I went through my grades that week, I talked about, but I think he had maybe like a couple small catches in that game, but 
I talked about a player who caught my eye in that game, not from the catches, but just from his route running and his speed. And I'm like, I did a double take. I'm like, who the heck is that? I'm like, oh, that's Bo Melton. And I was excited about him before he even started putting up numbers. Like he stood out on tape from that Tampa Bay game in the very first game that he was called up. He finished the final three regular season games. In the final three regular season games, he had 15 catches for 211 yards and a touchdown. That's how he finished in the final three weeks of the season. Now, he is still, com- I know there were some injuries during that time, but he was still competing with a lot of the other wide receivers that were on that roster for playing time and catches and everything like that. It's not like Green Bay was at a lack of weapons and like, well, we just got to throw to Bo Melton. No, he earned those opportunities and he earned those receptions. I get wholeheartedly that this is a small sample size, but if you take 15 for 211 in a touchdown in the final three weeks and average that out and put that over a 17-week season, that is 85 catches for 1,196 yards and six touchdowns. That's what that was over, again, if you take that three weeks and extrapolate it over a 17-week year. Now, again, I don't know that he's going to have the opportunity to put up those type of numbers simply because Green Bay has a plethora of weapons at wide receiver, running back and tight end. And just anyone breaking out to that level is going to be a little bit hard in this offense because they're going to feed the open player. And there's going to be different open players in every game, every play, different situations, different circumstances. So I don't know that he's going to have that ability, but I do know that I have a ton of faith and a ton of trust into what he can become as a player. And like I said, I think that is a starting caliber player. He was And I know, again, I'll say it one more time, it's small sample size, I get it, but he was my highest graded player per play on offense or defense this past year. Meaning it just take it, his his overall grade divided by the plays that he actually played on a per play basis, there was nobody on the Packers who had a higher grade than Bo Melton. He was pro football focused second highest graded offensive player with an 83.4 grade, second only to Jordan Love, who had an 83.6 grade. Love beat him out by 0.2. This is not just, again, some really cute practice squad story where they called him up and he had a couple nice plays. I'm thinking of like a Dewan Harris, right? If you remember him and he had a, you know, he had a really nice end of that season and had a nice playoff performance, but he just kind of disappeared into the ether and we never really heard from him much after that. I do not believe that's going to happen to Bo Melton. I believe he's a legitimate starting caliber wide receiver. I think he's only going to get better. And I think Green Bay found a crazy playmaker out of absolutely nowhere. And he's going to continue to solidify himself. Number two on this list is another wide receiver. And that is Malik Keith. Now Malik Keith, again, I know probably not forgotten about, but this is a player who is probably targeted as Green Bay's number six wide receiver on the depth chart right now behind the four clear guys. And then I would put Melton as five that we just talked about. And then Malik Heath at six. Malik Heath reminds me of the usual undrafted free agent wide receiver story, like a Geronimo Allison, a Jarrett Boykin, to some extent, and Alan Lazard. I know he was signed off of their uh, the Jaguars practice squad and wasn't their own undrafted free agent. But those type of players who makes their work doing the, the dirty work and makes their living doing the dirty work, doing a lot of the blocking. Now, you know, Geronimo Allison wasn't a great blocker, but a lot of the possession wide receiver stuff, middle of the field, and they had a legitimate role in the offense. Lazard, Allison, Boykin. And I believe Malik Heath, probably, I don't know that he ever gets to the Allen Lazard, like where he reached, but to me, I think Heath can be better than Jared Boykin ever was, better than Geronimo Allison ever was. And 
those guys were legitimately like the number three wide receiver in Green Bay at times. And while that was probably a little bit rich for what their talent level was, like Green Bay got by with it playing at a high level with that type of player because you sort of need that dirty work guy within your offense. Even right now, even as the number six dude, and he couldn't get active in those last couple games of the season simply because he was the number six dude, I still think he has a role because while Dontavian Wicks and Christian Watson, those guys will go out and block, like he is a little bit more gritty and grimy when it comes to some of the blocking stuff. I, Wicks is too. He's, he's just an all around amazing player, but I think he can do a lot of that. He played 71 snaps of special teams. I think he can be a legit number three, number four wide receiver in an offense in the right situation. It just so happens that Green Bay doesn't even need him to do that. And they're struggling even getting him on the field. But just because that's the case, I don't think that he should be forgotten about. I think he's a legitimate, you know, playmaker is never going to be the word for, you know, for Malik Keith, but he's a legitimate player and sort of like, like kind of a guy that you need within the overall structure of your offense. I think he has a place. I think he has a role. And I think while it may never be the sexiest thing in the world, I think it's needed. And I'm excited about what he can continue to bring to the table. And he was just an undrafted rookie this past year. I think he's going to continue to get better. So maybe not, again, this ultimate playmaker, but a good, solid, overall rotational player that Green Bay is going to have uses for. And having him as your number six wide receiver is an embarrassment of riches that you can go that deep with your wide receiver core. Next on my list is another wide receiver. And yes, I don't know that this player has even an avenue towards making the 53-man roster this season because of all the things that we just talked about. He's probably eighth on the depth chart right now. But I want to talk about Grant DuBose because this was one of my favorite uh, of their seventh round picks last year. Him and Carrington Valentine wasn't high on Lou Nichols uh, at that point. Um, but th this was one of my like favorite late picks in the draft. This was my scouting report on him. Here, here are my positives. Really nice, clean, simple cuts and releases. Catches the ball outside of his frame really well. Goes up and gets the ball. Great body control. Works back to the ball. Not a stranger to the spectacular catches. Great balance. Has great overall athleticism. Played special teams on punt coverage and did some punt returning. Those were all positives for him on my scouting report coming out of college. Now, my negatives... Would have liked to seen a little bit more production overall. Was not a high-end separator. Didn't have great high-end speed. Think more of like your James Jones type. Didn't have like the crazy playmaking ability, but did have some really spectacular plays. Only one catch of 30 yards in his final season in college, uh, 30 or more yards. Uh, we'll need to do a better job against press man coverage and against more physical cornerbacks and lacks high-end upside. Those are my highs and lows. This was Dane Brugler of The Athletic. This was his overall summary for Grant DuBose. By the way, he came in as the number 27 wide receiver in his draft guide last year. Uh, number 25 was Demario Douglas, who had a, a great season uh, with the New England Patriots. He's going to be a stud. Um, number 28, the player after Grant DuBose, was one, I don't know if you can see it on there, Puka Nakua, number 28, a spot behind Grant DuBose. So here was the overall summary that didn't age well, by the way, but do, like Puka went late. Nobody was expecting him to be the player that he was, or he would have went a whole heck of a lot sooner. Here was the overall summary for Grant DuBose. Two-year starter at Charlotte, DuBose was a perimeter receiver and uh, former offensive coordinator Mark Carney's balanced scheme. After his career was in limbo during the pandemic, he found a home in Charlotte and led the 49ers in receiving both of the seasons with the program, only the fourth player in school history to surpass 1,500 career receiving yards. 
Dubose owns a good size frame and plays even bigger with his natural ball skills and midair adjustments, regardless of the coverage. But even with hesitation, routes or double moves, he will struggle to create early or vertical spacing against NFL level corners. Overall, Dubose plays with more uh, with the body fluidity and catch point talent that increases his chances of finding a permanent home in the NFL. Although he has work to do to be considered more than a jump ball weapon or zone beater, he has rotational value as an NFL rookie. That's the big thing I want to take away here. I thought, and uh, clearly Dane thought, and many thought, that even as a rookie, he would have had rotational wide receiver value. He's wide receiver eight right now in Green Bay. But that doesn't mean, again, that we should forget about him. I think, and Green Bay activated him late in the season, I think almost as like a bonus. Like they basically just got him some extra money by activating him late in the season. I think they know that he's a good player. Now, like I said, I don't know how you find an avenue A to their 53-man roster unless you're keeping seven wide receivers and, and Samore Toure is gone, which is within the realm of possibility. And B, even if he makes the 53, like getting snaps, there's six legitimate guys that all need snaps ahead of him. And that doesn't even include the tight ends or running backs that are going to need targets. Like finding him time in anything of value or substance is going to be really difficult. But guess what? If Green Bay ends up with a, you know bunch of injuries at wide receiver, and all of a sudden Grant DuBose has to be your number three or number four guy, I think he can go out and do that and be totally fine. That's the craziness of this Packers wide receiver position. So one that's going to be, like I said, probably even tough to make the roster, but if he does, I think he can actually still contribute. I liked a lot of the stuff that I saw. He needs to put on functional strength. He looked a little bit wiry in training camp last year, but remember he he battled and dealt with injuries in, in training camp. He came back in that final couple weeks of camp. I think he maybe played in the last preseason game. I thought he looked really, really good. He's a player that I'm still excited by, even if he is buried on the depth chart at the moment. All right, next up, two tight ends. The first of which I can't even guarantee is going to be back on the team, but that is Tyler Davis. And I know a lot of people have this negative connotation towards Tyler Davis, but the reason I want to talk about him is in 2022, he was Green Bay's most played special teams player. In 2023, the special teams, spoiler alert, not great. I don't know that I want to say they took a step back, but I do believe that they actually felt the loss of Tyler Davis to some extent. And in a weird way, I think he actually projects really well as Green Bay's number four tight end, a player that probably doesn't need to play a ton on offense, has a little bit of run after the catch ability, has continued to improve as a blocker, and is one of your legitimate core special teams guys that you can probably get back on a vet minimum deal coming off the injury that he had. And if he can come in and just solidify the special teams and help it out in some capacity, that's probably a win in and of itself. Meanwhile, he projects perfectly as like a number four tight end. If that's where you're utilizing him and you've got a couple injuries on game day and all of a sudden he has to be an emergency number two or number three tight end, great. He can fill that role. So I'm not saying Tyler Davis needs to come in and be tight end one or anything like that. I'm just saying as tight end four and as a core special teams guy, there's a ton of value there. Um, like I said, he's improved as a blocker, has some run after the catch ability, and I do believe he can be maybe the best guy in Green Bay special teams if you bring him back. And guess what? I think Green Bay will bring him back. Kind of a forgotten guy, a guy that I know a lot of people didn't love, but that's because like he had to play more than he probably should have on offense. Meanwhile, he was putting together a great special teams resume, was continuing to get better as a player, looked good in camp last year prior to getting hurt. I would expect him back, and I would actually think that there's a pretty decent chance for him to make a 53-man roster because of his special teams prowess going into this season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The other one at tight end is Ben Sims. I don't know that a lot of people really recognize this because they're two totally different players. These were my final grades at tight end this past season. Luke Musgrave, plus 1.45. Ben Sims, plus 1.20. They were ridiculously close from a grading standpoint. Now, two totally different players. Musgrave made his plays on the receiving end and where he got you know docked negatively was from a blocking standpoint. And there were times where Musgrave was okay, but still struggled. And that's where he got his negative grades. Meanwhile, Ben Sims never really was spectacular at anything, but graded well as a blocker, graded well as a pass catcher when he had the opportunities. I think there's some things that he does really well consistently, especially for an undrafted rookie free agent that they claimed off of waivers. He is a better athlete than he gets credit for. He was not somebody that was expected to come in and just be like a blocking tight end. He almost projected more as like a, a like almost like a move tight end. And he changed his style of play. And while he didn't master it year one, he got a lot better at it in the course of one year. And just, I want to say this. Like the fact that all three of those rookie tight ends graded in the positive as rookies, that is a really, really, really difficult position to grade in the positive with. It just is. The fact that they had three rookies as rookies at the position, all graded in the positive, and one of them was an undrafted free agent waiver claim. Ben Sims deserves a lot of credit for what he put on tape last year. I think he's going to continue to get better. I think he's probably an ideal number two tight end down the line. And again, this is just where Green Bay has the great depth that they have. He's going to be their number three. He he has a great role within this offense. They need that type of player. I think he'll get better as a blocker. I do think he still has better run after the catch ability than what he's had the opportunity to show so far. I th- and I think he actually could get some of the H-back and fullback work with Josiah DeGuara being gone. He played 105 snaps of special teams. I could see that going up this year as well. Look for more of Ben Sims in 2024, not less. Under the radar player big time and a guy that I really, really, really like. All right, next up, offensive lineman, and this is Luke Tenuta. Now, this is a bit of a complex one because I can't look at you in the eye and be like, yep, really love what Luke Tenuta's doing. He didn't play last year. He was hurt the entirety of the season. But there's two reasons why I want to bring Luke Tenuta to your attention. The first, and I've talked about this in the past, is the end of 2022. At the end of 2022, they had Rasheed Walker, Caleb Jones, and Luke Tenuta all as active players on the 53-man roster. And at the end of 2022, the player that they were activating, when they, they were deactivating Rasheed Walker, they were deactivating Caleb Jones on game day, 
And the player they were activating on game days at the end of 2022 was Luke Tenuta, ahead of Rasheed Walker, who is now Green Bay's starting left tackle. At the end of 2022, they liked Luke Tenuta more than they liked Rasheed Walker. That, is, that should be telling to you. And they liked him more than Caleb Jones as well. The other thing that I want to point out here is when he got hurt last year and he was probably going to be out for the season, Green Bay, in what most teams do in that situation for a player that hasn't really played, is they waive that player injured. And what happens in that situation is you subject the player to waivers. If another team claims them, which almost never happens because they're going to be hurt for the year, they're on the hook for their entire salary and they're the ones that need to put them on IR and pay for them while they're not going to play. Green Bay could have just subjected him to waivers and then put him on IR if he went unclaimed and been done with him for the entire season. And if he got claimed, it's actually a benefit because the other team's taking on the financial burden for a player who's not going to play. Green Bay did not do that. They did not, apparently, there's one of two ways you could look at this. A, they did not want to subject him to waivers, meaning that they valued him enough that even though it was unlikely he would have been claimed, they thought of him enough where they are like, if this guy gets claimed, we would be bummed about it because we think he has a future here in Green Bay. That's one way to look at it. The other is that they were really hoping that he was going to come back at some point during the season because if they would have put him on IR prior to the start of the season, then that he would not have been able to come back at any point. So if that's the case, then they thought highly enough of him that they were willing to waste a 53-man cutdown roster spot on Luke Tenuta simply for the hope that he was going to be able to come back at some point and play in the season. Now, he never got to that point. They did open his practice window this past year, but never activate him, activated him off of IR. But to me, it was clear that they wanted to keep him on the roster in some capacity. They didn't just want to put him on IR and end the season. They did not want to subject him to waivers. They thought enough of him that they put him on the initial 53-man roster, even though he was hurt. So if you sort of put those two things together, the fact that at the end of 2022, um, you know, before he got hurt in 2023, he was ahead of Rashid Walker and ahead of Caleb Jones. And then the fact that they did not subject him to waivers and tried to get him to come back at, the, at any point this past season tells me all I need to know that Green Bay feels like they have something there. Now, this is going to be a huge year for Tenuta. He's going to have to come back healthy. He's going to have to play well. He's an impressive specimen when you watch him in practice. He's got good size. He was a sixth round pick um, in 2022 that ended up getting waived and Green Bay uh, claimed him off of waivers. I think Green Bay thinks they have something there and just a player not to necessarily forget about. All right, this is my next one is one that I'm cheating on a little bit. And you might just roll your eyes when I say this name, but my under-the-radar player here, my first one on defense, is Devontae Wyatt. Now, I know that nobody has forgotten Devontae Wyatt. I know everyone knows who Devontae Wyatt is. He's not exactly in the same ilk as a Luke Tenuta or a, you know, Grant DuBose, etc. Devontae was the 68th graded defensive lineman for PFF this past year. That's not great. He graded behind Kenny Clark, Carl Brooks, and TJ Slayton per PFF. For me, he ended with a negative 0.6 grade, which was my worst grade for any of the defensive linemen, even behind Colby Wooden as well. But here's where I think he's under the radar. There is unquestionably tape and a decent amount of it for Devontae Wyatt this past season where he looked special, like big time, big impact special. The issue was he failed to finish a lot of those plays, meaning he's doing all the hard work where 
He's using his incredible size and incredible movement ability, which is rare, even in the NFL, what he has, and winning with immediacy. And just unfortunately, due to some luck and due to some like lack of finishing ability, just could not get the player down, whether that be a big tackle for loss in the backfield, whether that be the potential for a sack or a sack fumble. But it is so hard to watch his tape and his high-end stuff and be like, oh my goodness. Like there is something really special that's just waiting there. I think ultimately what we've seen out of Devontae Wyatt is probably just what we get. And it's always a little bit frustrating. Get some really good stuff, get some bad stuff, some inconsistent stuff. Doesn't finish some of the plays that he should. Put some really wow stuff on tape, but a lot of times he kind of just goes unnoticed. I think that's probably what we get. But how he wins when he does win is special. And there is so much that's right there. It is so freaking close. And I'm hopeful that with a new defensive line coach, with a new defense, with his third year in the league, with you know coming off his first season where he really played a significant amount of snaps, I'm hoping all of this comes together and we actually finally get the first round pick, Devontae Wyatt, that we were all waiting for. Because of all the players on this list, if this dude actually hits his ceiling, it changes everything for Green Bay on defense. And I know a lot of people point to Quay Walker as that player, maybe an Eric Stokes as that player. To me, it's Devontae Wyatt because I have seen the vision. It is there. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can grasp it. And he just has to finish some of those plays and be a little bit more consistent. But if he gets there, if he gets there, it changes everything. I think this three technique position and this new defense is going to be perfect for him. And it might just be wishful thinking. It might never come to fruition, but it's there. I see it and I want to see it more consistently, but do not, you know, forget about the potential that this dude has because if he if he does get there, we're talking about one of the best defensive tackles in football. Whether he gets there or not, I don't know. I'm not super confident in it, but some of the stuff when you go back and watch his tape is really exciting and really special, and I don't want to lose sight of that. All right, next on my list is Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden actually ended the season, one of my rare defensive players who actually graded in the positive, had a plus 0.35 grade on almost 300 snaps and as a rookie fourth round pick. I really like some of the stuff that Wooden put on tape this past year. He started the season really tough in run defense. Atlanta ran right at him. He got better as the season went along in run defense and also showed a pretty quick first step in some ability to get into the backfield, both as a run defender and as a pass rusher and just sort of as a disruptor. I think that in this system, in that three technique role, he's going to fit very, very well. I don't think that if... I'll put it this way. If Colby Wooden had played five, 600 snaps this past year, rather than 300, I think he would have graded well into the negative. I don't think he was ready for a large workload where he was playing 20, 25 snaps per game. I think if you get there, he's going to have to take a jump in 2024 to be able to live up uh, and, and play within the rigors of that many snaps in the NFL. But as the number five defensive lineman playing 10 to 12 snaps per game and bringing a little bit of juice and energy, he played really well. Now, I think he needs to put on a little bit of strength this offseason, a little bit of muscle. I think he needs to do a better job still of holding up against the run, but I like him in the spot that he's in as the number five defensive lineman. I think there's more that he can bring to the table, and I do legitimately think that there's a jump that he can take where he makes a much bigger impact. Really, really like him. Don't know that he's ready for a bunch of snaps yet, but 
in a rotational role, he serves a purpose. And I do think there's a step still, a big step there for him to potentially take. All right, last but not least on my list is the one special teams player. I guess Tyler Davis was kind of a special teams player as well, but Daniel Whalen, exclusive rights free agent. He will be back with the team. What I don't want to lose sight of here is I think Green Bay actually found their punter. Of all the things that went wrong in special teams and that's like all the issues with Anders Carlson, they found their punter. He was PFF's eighth graded punter this past year with a 74.6 grade. He just turned 25 years old. As I said, he's an exclusive rights free agent. He's going to be back on a super cheap deal. One of the underrated numbers for Whalen that I was looking at and, and looking at uh, all of the different punting stats, 22 out of the 57 punts that he had this past year were fair caught. That's 38.6% of the punts, meaning like one overall, one out of every three punts, almost what, two out of five were a fair catch. That was the best in the NFL, meaning he was getting high hang time. And it partly has to do with guys getting down there in coverage as well. But that is an you know, important statistic. If you don't want you know your, your punt gunners to have to do a lot of heavy lifting, well, keep the ball up there and let them you know, fair catch the ball. And if you're limiting returns, that's going to allow your special teams to, again, just be better and hopefully pinning guys deep in their own territory. But 38.6% you know, of punts were fair caught. Eighth graded punter by PFF. I thought he did a pretty decent job of holding some of those long, those snaps from Matt Orzik were not great. And he sort of fixed them. And I just think for a team that's been really at a, I don't know, I don't know if we want to call it a curse set punter ever since it felt like, like Craig Hentrick, basically, I think they finally got their guy. And not only would I potentially look at signing him to the exclusive rights free agent deal, I think I might just look at locking him up for three or four years. That's how excited I am. He also has some kickoff potential if they would ever need it. Carlson's legs a little bit, I think, better than what um, Whalen's is, but he does have some kickoff potential as well. I don't know. I just think they found their punter and I don't think that that should necessarily go unnoticed either. So those are my nine. For recapping here, Bo Melton, Malik Heath, Grant DuBose, Tyler Davis, Ben Sims, Luke Tenuta, Devontae Wyatt, Colby Wooden, and Daniel Whalen. Those are the nine players to me that are flying a little bit under the radar and I didn't want to lose track of. And these are the things that I love nerding out over and just going over and guys that I like. How, how much of an impact those nine players make combined this upcoming season? I don't know. A couple of those guys might not even make the team. Some of them might have very limited roles, but I think they're good football players and I think they can help Green Bay in the right situation. And like guys like Devontae Wyatt, I'm hoping to take a big step. I think Bo Melton can be a big time player. And a lot of those other guys, maybe rotational pieces, but guys that I think can still help in 2024. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Shout out to Most State of Minnesota and PJ Wayne, John Wild, Shea Bradad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, and Donald Decker for being all pro and Hall of Fame members. If you've not yet checked out Packaday Podcast YouTube memberships, what are you waiting for? Just do it. You're going to enjoy it. You know you're going to enjoy it. So sign up right now. Do it. Click on that link right below if you're on YouTube. Uh, if you're on the audio podcast, subscribe, like, give those five star reviews. That helps a ton. I will see you guys tomorrow, though. Until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go.